This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. For years, I was so fed up with shampoo, I just stopped washing my hair. I quit completely. I was so sick of poofy, frizzy, limp hair, distorting my natural oils. Until a few months ago, I found modern mammals and it changed everything. And by the way, right now you can visit modernmammals.com and use code LSS for 10% off. So check that out. So look, I heard about this through the podcast and before I agreed to advertise, they sent it to me and I was reluctant. But let me tell you, I should not have been. This stuff is absolutely magical. My hair felt better, smelled way better, and most importantly, looked better. And I know it will do the same for you as well. It doesn't have those hair-ruining chemicals like other products, and it doesn't leave any leftover residues. It works. Don't believe me? Go read their awesome reviews online as well. Go to ModernMammals.com and use code LSS for 10% off. Again, that's ModernMammals.com for 10% off with promo code LSS. Don't forget to use our promo code LSS so they know we sent you. Hello, everybody. Welcome to yet another episode of Lead Singer Syndrome, a podcast where I, your host, Shane Told, speak to other lead singers about what it's like to be the front man or front woman of a professional band. And today we have one of the best. I was about to call him a hardcore legend, but He's still so current. He's still so active in everything he's doing with Hatebreed, with his podcast, The Jasta Show, with his solo stuff, with his clothing line, with his record company, all the stuff he's doing. It's hard to call him a legend when he's still killing it. So I'm very pleased to have the one and only Jamie Jasta of Hatebreed on the show today. Thank you so much for tuning in. And as I'm recording this, we are finally done the Vans Warp Tour. Um, 37 weeks of... No, it was not 37 weeks. It was about seven weeks, but it felt very, very, very long. And we are done. And uh, tonight, we played in Pomona, California, and it was incredible. Shout out to everybody that was there. I know a lot of my sinners were there. Nice to see you guys uh, today. All the dates that everybody came out, all the people in the All Access Club... Um, that was amazing to see you all, and thank you so much for, for the support, for the love. Um, you know, Warp Tour, you know, last week we did the Warp Tour special with Kevin Lyman and Steve from the Adolescents, Jack from TSOL, and Lisa Johnson. And, you know, it's no secret that Warp Tour is a very, very grueling tour, very hard to get through. So I'll tell you, when I walked off stage tonight in Pomona and the show was over and the tour was over, I had a bit of a spring in my step. So not to say I didn't love it. I, did, I had an absolutely great time. And thank you again, everybody that came out. But, oh, I'm ready for my own bed. And tomorrow night, I will be doing exactly that. As I just mentioned, the All Access Club is a real thing. This show will always be free. Don't worry about that. But if you want more episodes, bonus content, interaction with other fans of the show, 
interaction with me. I do some Q&As where I play some tunes. If you want Lead Singer Syndrome merchandise, the only way to get it is to pledge on the All Access Club for as little as $6 a month, which is like one fancy cup of coffee. And you're in. And the support does go a long way, and it really does help us keep the lights on around here. In other news with me, I want to remind you, my band Silverstein has a brand new record. It just came out about three weeks ago. It's called Dead Reflection. It's been doing really, really well. We got our, our, you know, our first week numbers and our chart position and all that stuff. And thank you so much for the support there. We, the record did really, really, really well. And what's more important to me is just how the fans are just so excited about the record and I'm getting all these messages saying, this is my favorite song and will you please play this today? And, and all that stuff is really, really great. So if you haven't checked out the new Silverstein record, again, it's called Dead Reflection. Please give it a spin. Spotify, Apple Music, pick up the vinyl, pick up the CD, you know, whatever you got to do to get your hands on that music. Please check it out. It would mean the world to me. Also, one more thing I'll tell you about before we jump into my conversation with Jamie. If you buy anything on Amazon, I know school's coming up. You might be buying like a new computer or something like that. I don't, I don't know. If you buy anything on Amazon, please use the Lead Singer Syndrome affiliate link. Now, here's how it works. You just go to leadsingersyndrome.com slash Amazon. Leadsingersyndrome.com slash Amazon. It'll take you right to the homepage. You won't even know what happens. And whatever you buy on Amazon, we get 4 to 6%. And it costs you absolutely nothing. So it's a real easy way to throw us a bone. I mean, I don't really know why Amazon offers this. Um, but hey, I mean, I guess they're making business. They're, you know, it's a, it's a little commission or something. So it's a very nice thing, and it really, again, is a great way to support this podcast and keep it coming. All up in you every Monday or sometimes Tuesday, eh, mostly Tuesday. <laughs> Anyways, let's jump into it with the one and only and the singer of one of my favorite hardcore bands, Jamie Jasta of Hatebreed. already started just so you All right, know well. there's always that weird thing you know i'm sure you have guests where it's like you're just talking to them and then they're like oh it's rolling yeah yeah i didn't know it was rolling we are backstage pomona california uh the very last day of warp tour how did you enjoy it get through it what's your take yeah it was okay everything turned out luckily we killed it in merch nice and that's uh like we're going like we did a little count yesterday as you can see in this dirty ass trailer uh we sold way more than we expected so we're just we're taking like three bags of merch to europe and we already printed a shit ton in europe so yeah it's nice when you order the right amount and then it's all profit at the end (laughs) did you uh so this is your first your first warp tour it's your second warp tour second warp tour 1998. Okay. So the next one we'll <laughs> do is the next one we'll do is 2036. So we'll see you then. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I was at a Warp Tour in 1998. My first year was 1997. So it would have been my second year. I remember it being Bad Religion, No Effects, yeah. Rancid, maybe. Yep. Deftones, Kid Rock. Yep. Save Ferris was there, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, what kind of changes have you noticed? I mean, obviously, shout out to Monique. Big shout out to Monique. I where's Momo? Where's, where's Momo? She's always around. Yeah. 
She's always around. If she if she does walk by, we're definitely going to get her to do a couple minutes. If we see anybody, we'll get them to chime in. But uh, no, dude. So I mean, obviously, it's been twenty years. Your band's in a different place. Um, was it what you expected it was going to be? No, no. It was, um, smaller turnouts. Um, more. Uh, I say the pros were older fans were considerate of younger bands, which was cool. Yep. Um, you're like I could tell, like definitely, like your audience, Hawthorne Heights audience, our audience. Like they checked out other bands. They checked out Fire from the Gods. They checked sure. out Candiria. They checked out uh, uh, Trophy Eyes. They checked out who else? Uh, Silent Planet. There was like middle of the road kind of bands, like kind of like bands that were. Signed that kind of heavy, kind of not heavy, and I like when those fans of each of the, right. the fans of the lighter and the fans of the heavier they will check out the middle of the road bands. But for you as a dude, you know, as a dude that's been surrounded himself with you know heavy music for a long, long time, this is a different tour for you. You don't get to see, you know, you talk about Trophy Eyes or. Hawthorne Heights. I mean, they, you know, they're a little bit heavier, but you might do a festival with them. But in terms of doing a long-term thing, seeing these bands day in, day out, was it different for you seeing like, oh, fans kind of vibe with this shit? I mean, you know, you checked that Silverstein the other day and we were like, you guys are kind of heavy. Like, is it opening up your eyes to some new stuff? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I booked a lot of those tours and I booked a lot of those bands when I was a promoter. The Saves the Days and the Newfound Glory. So I was right. always kind of like, High ball, the Juliana theory. I booked a lot of yeah, those bands. Right. So I was always kind of aware of those bands and aware of that scene. But it was such a there was such a faster turnover in that scene where kid where kids would um, leave and then like after two years, whereas with hardcore they leave about after three years. And but now you see <laughs> is that everybody the, is that like, the research you've done? Yeah. <laughs> but now you see that everybody comes back and nostalgia is strong. Yeah, and I felt like one of those bands was kind of missing from this tour. I know Kevin was uh, trying to get All Time Low, who's they're like the ultimate one of those yeah. bands, right? Yeah. So that would have been great to bring that younger audience in, and then that pop punk audience. That you know, there's a lot of people that they like AFI, they like Newfound Glory, but they also like Hate Breed, and they like the Acacia Train bands. There are there is crossover there. Yeah, it's more than people think. But seeing those bands day in and day out. Um, on this tour, I hope it gives me hope. I, I hope that those bands and their fans they don't turn over as rapidly as they did back in the day. I hope that um, the bands stay supportive of these bands because they're great bands and they deserve the support. I you do see a lot of this like oh I was into Amir in two thousand five or I was into this right, band in right. two thousand seven and it's like. I don't get it. Like, when I'm a fan, I'm a fan. Like, I'm, I love Creator. There was a point in the mid-'90s where <laughs> Creator did Endorama. They had a couple sidesteps. But I was like, they'll come back. And they did. And the yep. last five fucking Creator albums are face rippers. They're classics. And, you know, we'll go. We'll, we'll leave and we'll play Sunday. Next Sunday, we'll play with Creator. And they're going on right before Ghost. And we go on right before Creator. So nice. we're in the t And the show sold out 80,000 people. So we're right in that top three, and that's why. That's because fans stuck around. Yeah. But the newer band, like Ghost, 
has the excitement of the newer fans, and we get to benefit from that as well. So we want to support Ghost sure. because Ghost, and that's what I mean. It's like it's a cyclical power. It's like we gotta, we don't have a career without the fans, but the fans also don't have a lot of songs and albums they love without us. And that's what I look at, like with Creator. I if I didn't have Creator, I love that band. Like I'll go fucking. You were talking about them the other day. Yeah, that's one of my favorite bands. Phantom Antichrist, fucking. Listen to Suicide Terrorist. <laughs> Hard. Great song. Great riff. It's like, it's pretty recent, too. And so I realized that if I didn't buy those albums, buy those shirts, I might not have gotten the record that I fucking love that I jam still almost, you know, every other day. That's the thing. Well, you talk about turnover in the scene. You talk about, like, the old music. I mean, it's so different now. And I, I want to ask you this question because it's probably something you can relate to. When you're a, when you're a kid... You know, and your band gets signed to Victory Records. All those bands, all those hardcore bands, pretty much you'd put out a record, maybe two, go on a couple tours, see some cool shit you never got to see, and you'd break up and you'd get on with real life. And here we are. I mean, what's Hatebreed? Over 20 years now? Yeah. 25 years approaching? Yeah. Uh, when did you start? What year? Uh, well, Wayne says 93. I thought it was 94. Okay. I guess it's the end of 93, early 94. So, regardless, you're still here. And that's not something that happened. I can think of bands from that era that had been around a long time, like, you know, Sick of It All maybe had been, but not, I mean, not. Not like 25 years at that point when you started. So how strange is it when you wake up and you go, I mean, you never thought you'd be here, right? Well, we got conditioned early on that there was a ceiling. Yeah. But at that point, I had been through stuff in my personal life, and I'd seen stuff with... My family with addiction and depression and anxiety and suicide. And I remember right around 98, my uncle committed suicide. And I was like, this life is so short. It's so fleeting. I had one of these kind of like aha moments. And it's very hard on people. Life is very hard on people. So when you're in this weird sort of like counterculture movement and people are, you know, going there because they, they want an escape from everyday reality... But then you see that there's like more rules and more sort of strict ceilings and and limitations being put on everybody. You go, wait, this is like emulating outside society. This is weird. Right. So I was like, well, we need to kind of like rebel against that. So then we need to we needed to kind of be different from all those uh, people and bands in that scene because it was very limiting. And we got a lot of flack for that. Of course. It worked in our favor because. I was told this band only sold this amount of records, so you'll be lucky if you sell half that. I was told this band only sells out these sides. And these were bands that were my favorite bands, and so it was crushing to me when they would go, we don't believe that you'll ever be bigger than this. And so as we kind of like shattered each ceiling and still continue to do that to this day, some people it's a, you know, it's a, it's a bitter thing for some, even some younger bands too, uh, it's funny to see like on this tour they'll come over and they they can't believe the reaction that we get and it's like well what did you expect we don't have the same fucking ceiling and right. close-minded sort of thing that your little scenes have all these little sub-genre scenes they're very limiting and and they're very mean to each other and the bands don't want to help each other and i know i'm generalizing but we I saw that it the goes in cycles yeah bullshit and we with saw that, that. Yeah. we saw yeah. that you know um uh when we would reach out to bands, you know, to do split seven inches or to do shows or to do tours, and you'd get this like very sort of uh, 
uh, uppity kind of reaction, yeah. and and I would go, well, they'll, and those are the type of people that they're the first to break up and the first to fail. It's the people that believe in abundance, that believe in the power of positive thinking, and that when you do good, my father used to always tell me, when you do good for somebody, it'll come back tenfold. So, like, if I booked a show on two days' notice or three days' notice, and I got 40 of my friends to show up, a lot of the times, that band that set up that show, they would have us come play their town of in, course. in exchange, and it would be a great show. And so, that was, you know, we just try to connect with those types of people, the people that weren't in that sort of a small town mindset or small regional mindset where it's like we can't do this and hey let's be honest all those tours that those, a lot of the cool guy bands turned down the Slipknots and the Deftones and the Danzigs all those tours that we were worried the Motorhead tour a lot of we got those tours because other bands turned those tours down and right. then we turned those tours into a shitload of record sales a shitload of merchandise sales and then we reinvested in the band and new fans you know I mean like when I was in high school or whatever I was, I'm not that much younger than you, I guess. I'm 36, but, you know, Hatebreed came out. It was a hardcore band. It was a Victory Records. It was this very niche kind of thing. You know, and I, I was, was compare you guys to bands like Strife and, you know, Snapcase, not sound, but on the same label in the same sort of world. Hellfest, you might play Hellfest. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. And you say the cool guy bands, and I know some of the bands you're talking about from that era... And a lot of the bands that were in that genre, like, um, more on the metal side of things, that ended up taking the metal tours, I don't want to say turning their back on hardcore, but just started to do the less cool metal stuff. Um, a lot of those bands, they did fail. The hardcore community shunned them up to a point, said, oh, they're sellouts or whatever. I don't want to go see them play with, uh, you know... Marilyn Manson or something. So, so what was your secret to that not having happened? Is it just your music being real? Is it your music pretty much staying, you know, like, Hatebreed's been a fairly consistent sound. You have never made a record where your fans were like, what the fuck? What's your, what's your take on that? Or is it too hard for you on the inside? Well, the, I think the having the balance of doing, like, the bigger tours where you do the higher door price and you have the higher merchandise price, but then going back and then doing the package tours that are more for the niche audience and doing the venues that the niche audience enjoy. Because there was a time, a good time, like a lot of, I would say a good five years from 1999 to 2004, where people, um, where the message boards were just starting to happen and people were doing sort of less snail mail and more sort of um, getting on the computer and we were like mapping out routings and we were, you know, comparing offers and we were getting more pro with it where we were able to like say, okay, we could be pro and do the big stuff, but then we can be DIY and have a balance. And I think that people appreciated that. So like if you would do say Pittsburgh Ozfest and that was a higher door price or we'd go back through Pittsburgh with say like a Danzig or a Sepultura, but then we could go do the DIY sort of club or bar or pub or VFW show with a lower dope price, lower t ticket price. So they had both options. Right. I think creating options that were fan friendly helped us. But I mean, we definitely had a lot of backlash and we had a lot of turnover. I mean, I, I still have, I have people on this tour come out that are like, that were like, I haven't 
seen or even heard of, you know, checked on the band in years. I'm a lawyer now. I'm a doctor now. Things like that. So people move on, too. So you have to also regenerate the fan base. A big part of us regenerating and getting the younger generation was um, doing this Five Finger Death Punch tour in 2012. Yeah. Doing the, um, we've, we always have like these three year kind of bursts of where we get reinvigorated with that new energy and new fans. This was a good opportunity. Also, Slipknot tour in 2015 was really big for yeah. us. But also, those Slipknot tours in the early days, too. Because a lot of the bands that they wanted to take out that turned those tours down, they're all gone. All those bands are broken up. And we took those tours and really compounded those fans and and then that really helped our club and theater shows no definitely and and i I, always the thing i never really hear you talk about that much and you probably haven't in years that much but hosting headbangers ball on mtv i always thought again again coming from like eight breed victory records band my band was on victory records for four albums you know i was like it's just so crazy to me that this hardcore kid is on this mtv platform you know? Yeah. Well, that, that, that was, was so crazy. And, and because, did you, do you think that did a lot for your career? Well, I think in the early days, it's, yeah, it was, it was really, it really got me a lot of great opportunities. And, and in the early days, there wasn't a lot of happy endings in hardcore. We saw a lot of deaths. We saw a lot of people go to jail. We saw a lot of people get hooked on drugs. A lot of bands break up. So I was always trying to think of that backup plan. Right. right. And, but then it was cool after we beat the sophomore jinx. My backup plan was Headbangers Ball and going to broadcasting. I, I, I did get like a crash course in Connecticut School of Broadcasting because I always felt like, you know, seeing bands turn their fans turn their back on the bands. I saw bands turn their back on Biohazard, turn their back on Life of Agony, turn their back on Carnivore, turn their back on Sick of It All, turn their back on Snapcase, on Earth Crisis. I remember when Slither came out, all the fans turning but their back on Earth Crisis. So there's a lot yeah. of examples of where you go, well, that's eventually going to happen to us. But we also learned from certain bands' mistakes where we would go, well, hey, I mean, we have a really tight relationship with our fans. I mean, we have thousands and thousands. I mean, at that point, 2003, we had a collection of like 3,000 fucking people with hate-breed logos and lyrics and tattoos. And we're like, we have this really deep connection with our fans. They really bond with the music, and it's bigger than us. Yeah. So if I go and do a TV show it doesn't diminish what the music does for somebody in their personal time on their own they it realize it shouldn't do that right but, but pe- sometimes but it people does people are fickle so, very fickle so that but then when you know I'm peppering in I'm going to the programmers hey play some Sick of It All play some Napalm play some Cannibal right. play Sworn Enemy play Agnostic Front so we were able to pepper in a lot of those videos where then fans were super jazzed like really really psyched when you'd get those videos played yeah. And that, I think, was very helpful. And then MySpace started to bubble up, and new generations of bands sure. started to bubble up, and that was a nice burst. That that really helped us. And then taking out those bands, you know, we took out All Shall Perish, we took out D's Nuts, we took out, <laughs> we took out a lot of those MySpace yep. bands. We took out Unearth, we took out Cannibal Corpse, uh, we took out Black Dahlia Murder. We we took out Exodus. We took out Napalm Death. We took out Sick of It All. We took out Biohazard. We took out Throne. So we were doing like these two years all over the map. Though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we really so you know it wasn't like we were trying to jump on whatever was trendy. We were helping heavy bands. Yeah. No, it's 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 been it's just interesting to talk to you because there's so much you've seen. You know what I mean? 
from when you started, it was just a different world, yeah. you know? So, and you got to always think that the world's going to change. Look how so much stuff has changed. And when you, when you think about the world changing, you have to say, okay, good. You can't say, no. oh, what are we going to do? Absolutely. I, I did all that, like, oh, what are we going to do? And it didn't work out. Like with the Napster, with the LimeWire, you know, people put retitled our songs to to be like racist titles. I mean, people did a lot of sabotage to our really? band. Really, that's fucked. Yeah, and LimeWire, that was like a re that really hurt our perception, hurt our band. But we built it back up. I mean, there's a lot of sabotage that goes on in the industry. There's a lot of people that want to see you fail. They what they don't want to see people because it's a it's an industry where there's a lot of people that are in control, and when you don't have to abide by their rules they get nervous and we still see it you know there's a small amount of managers and a small amount of agents out there and there's a small amount of opportunities it's very hard to break as a band but when you're not when you don't abide by their rules and you still are getting paid and you still have a lot of fans that makes a lot of people nervous sure and because why because it could to potentially hurt their bank account if their bands on their roster go well, shit. Why don't we? Why don't we find a manager or an agent that'll take five percent of the net? <laughs> then I, I get in trouble on this when I talk about that stuff on the podcast. Oh, fuck that! But that talk about it. Talk, that's that's, that's uh, you know you talked about. I was upset the other day when we did your show and you brought up backing tracks and we didn't talk about it. Yeah, like all the backing tracks and you know all the fuck this. The whole point of this shit is a long form. Pull back the curtain on stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? I have no problem outing people or at least maybe not outing people personally if I don't have to, but I'll tell it like it is. Well, the shit that goes on behind the scenes. Well, there's a feeling of, uh, I guess, there's these partnerships that are beneficial for managers and the main guys in the band and stuff. And, and I get it. And the... Music business is much different from the corporate world. As soon right. as someone is not pulling their weight, they are fucking out. But in the music world, if someone's not pulling their weight and they're out, the fans could backlash. It can hurt your business. Yeah. There's a lot of relationships that people are in. And you see it. You see these guys bickering all over the internet. You see these inner band fights. And I'm just like, you know what? That's shit that I just want to avoid. I don't want to be 60 and be bickering like fucking Steven Tyler and Joe Perry and all these guys at each other. Oh. Or be like fucking, uh, you know, having all like... Um, just drama everywhere because the, it's constantly changing. Like you even read, like even I read some Slayer interviews where Tom, uh, the Dave Lombardo thing. Uh, is yeah, just, and you go, uh, and you go. I get it. Look, that's your business. If you and your manager and Carrie and Tom, you guys have been doing this for fucking. I'm, who am I to tell you how to run your business? Of course, I get it. Right, like, but I like Dave, and I see it from Dave's standpoint as well. Um, I'm not here to tell people how to run their business, but people ask me a lot of times about the business, and I say, um, you have to learn. You yeah, learn and, new things, and, and you have to adapt and overcome with and the you, way the changes are. You, Slayer can't run their band like they did in 1985. Right. They can't. And also, what they're doing that now is still successful. It is very successful, and, there's, and they still put out some half-decent records. I agree. I and, like and, they, they come out and open with "Repentless" and the, it gets a real pop, and the yeah. audience likes it. And that's a brand new song. And and but those guys need to realize that 
again, it's not the way it was. And it's it's hard. You can't, it's like, you know, you can't teach it a, uh, an old dog new tricks. It's, but I do a lot of the stuff that they do. I copy a lot of their business tactics. I mean, look at, look at that mayhem that flopped. Right. All right. They were on that. It didn't hurt them in the long run. I don't believe that it hurt their brand or their perception. Just like everybody talking about how this warp tour is down in attendance, I don't. Th- I don't think they're saying it's a flop because there were shows that were really well attended. Yeah. Like today and like Detroit and Chicago and Hartford. There were a lot of shows that did really well. Jersey. Here's the difference. Here's the difference. In my take on warp tour. Well, we're 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 going in a lot of different directions, but yes, the attendance was low. But there was no band. There was no all-time low. Right. There was no right. big band. They were like, no all right, day to that band's worth 4,000 tickets. Right. Because you could just add 4,000 kids in here. Right. And pay one band to sell 4,000 extra tickets and pay them whatever, and that's fine. Yeah. They didn't do that. Right. And we talked about this with Kevin. If anybody, if anybody thinks, uh, if anybody thinks, you know, this is stuff that we don't say directly to Kevin, I did. I, and and yeah. Kevin's been on my show, and Kevin's been on your show. Yeah. So... And we're not here to tell him how to do their. We're not here to tell anybody how to do the, do their business. We're no. just commenting on it, and it's our opinions. And but I, I think they put a together of, a great lineup. Yeah, the bands were great. Some of my favorite bands I've seen in years. My my shit, new shit. But life's hard enough as it is, and a concert <laughs> experience is supposed to be enjoyable. And I've, I, you know, unfortunately, I think that the way that this heat has been, people just a lot of. I thank everybody who 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 came out in it. But people just would rather not see a concert outdoors, I think, right now. I think they've done it all growing up. And, uh, you know, it is what it is. They, they, they had their fun, and now they're, they're, they want to they go see corn at night in a shed. Or they want to go see, in this moment, and Motionless and White in a, in a big theater or a scaled-down convention center. And what's the other one that they've been going to? Uh, Slayer Lamb of God in a nice air-conditioned big right. club or whatever. Right. Rise Slayer. Against Deftones are out right, right now. Right. There's a lot yeah. of shows that are more appealing to other people and I get it, man. The fans, it's no different than fucking Walmart. I, you know, I'm not a big fan of Walmart, but you know what? I go in, I get my fucking vegan yogurt. <laughs> and why? Why? Because it makes them money. So now they have me as a customer because I go in there, they got a whole organic section and I'm in there because I got to go in at 6 in the morning. Fucking Target ain't open at 6 when this asshole bus driver fucking doesn't want to take me. I, he goes, well, Target ain't open until fucking 9 o'clock. So I can't go then because we got to be here at 8. Right. So I go to fucking Walmart and I get my stupid shit. And that's why I'm a customer. So that you have to make it easy for people. Do right. you get what I'm saying? I do get what you're saying. And unfortunately, this ain't Walmart. They didn't make it easy. Mm-hmm. They, made yep. it, they made it very hard. And uh, everybody gets their shit a la carte. Everybody gets their shit their own way. And that's the world is a fucked up place like that now. No, it's a, it's a pretty good analogy, actually. Uh, so I want to go back and I want to talk about the Victory Records uh, years. Um, what is your take on Victory? Is your start? You weren't on there for very long. You got out of it. How, how, what's the deal there? What happened with Hatebreed back in the, the day? I just never thought, like... The label mattered, and that upset a lot of people. I still don't think labels really matter that much. I mean, even bands like look at Andy Black and look at look at uh, Black Veil Brides. Like, you never heard of that label before Black Veil Brides? What is it, Sumerian? No, uh, I forget what it was called, but it was like you never heard about it. The band, the fans cared about the band. They didn't care about the fucking label, right? Oh yeah, you know. And um, and I, and look, there's a lot of great people that worked at all these labels that we've been on. 
that did a lot of great work for us, and I'm very appreciative of it. I'm just saying, people don't fucking leave the show humming the label. It's a great point, Jamie. They leave the show singing the words it's, and fucking humming the riffs. It's a great point, but I'll counter with back in those days, all the punk rock, hardcore compilations, you know, Victory Style 2, people were buying those CDs and they were fans of those bands. You were going out with other we, bands on see, Victory. We, it was a scene, But you in know? 95, before we were on Victory... When all the labels passed, and the first time Victory passed, we were playing with Machine Head, we would play with Napalm Death, we would play with Sick of It All, we played with Sub-Zero, and we saw, okay, Victory has an audience, they have this sort of middle-class suburban, it was a different audience than the fans that liked Agnostic Front and Machine Head and the Roadrunner bands and Biohazard. So I'm like, look, that's a valid, that's a, that's a viable audience. And that's a okay. So so why can't we have both, right? Right. And so, but then I started realizing that that was limiting in the thinking because then when we signed to Victory, people were like, "I can't believe you would sign to the McDonald's of hardcore. You guys are fucking sellouts." So we're like, "We're sellouts when we signed to a fucking big indie label." I'm like, <laughs> it really started making me think about the mentality of punk and hardcore. Right. And I thought, okay, we need to, you know, and I liked Entombed, and I liked fucking. Uh, uh, bolt thrower and all these sure. bands and so you know one of the first tours we did was entombed in 98 and and death metal kids would would mosh and pit and I was, i'm like yo we could grab from everybody we we, we, absolutely. we opened for afi absolutely but i mean i bring up victory because you were only on it for one label you must have signed for more you must have got out of the deal somehow yeah yeah universal bought us out okay it didn't end well but look Tony and, and Cliff and all those guys, Clint, sorry, um, all those guys, they built a brand that um, that at that time helped a lot of bands, but it's not the be-all, end-all. You know, like, you can, there's a ton of bands' records that I'm like, Bad Brains was on Caroline. I don't give a fuck about yep. Caroline. I don't know what other records are on Caroline. Sure. I just like the fucking Bad Brains. Yep. So that's how I would look <laughs> at it. Now, that was an unpopular way of thinking. Bad Brains was on Victory, too, at one point. Yes. We were part of that campaign. Yeah. And, um, and uh, you know, when you go to Montana and when you go to fucking South Dakota and North Dakota and you're in an arena and you're playing to fucking 6,000 people, those 6,000 people, they don't give a fuck about Victory Records. Nope. And then when you're going on Ozfest, at that time, 2001, 2002, they don't give a fuck. That's why when the record came out on Universal in 2002 and did fucking like 30,000 records the first week, nobody gives a fuck. They want the hate breed record. They don't want to. They don't give a fuck about Universal Records. No, you're right. You're right. I mean, it, it matters more in the industry, if anything. Like you know, a lot of people don't want to give victory bands a chance or didn't because, like you said, McDonald's of hardcore or. Tony Brummel fucked me over or whatever, didn't pay me for something. I don't want to work with his bands again. You know, so, you know, that's kind of more what I'm getting at, you know, and just wondering your experience. But, well, it was, I mean, hey, they, they send the accounting, uh, they send the checks, the record sold well, 
I'm sure that the profits of that record funded a lot of other records and funded a lot of other releases for them. Yeah. And helped them. And uh, it is what it is. Like, I, I've run a label, so I've seen it from both sides. Sure. And uh, I've had other labels come in and poach bands. And it's a, it's a gnarly business. So I get, yes. I get why a guy like Tony has to be uh, an animal. And every, every, you know, any business like that, you got to have somebody like that who's a savage. Right. And it's going to hurt a lot of feelings and people are going to question uh, business moves. But, I mean, that's how they've survived. If you're going to be nice, it ain't the fucking music friendship. It's the music business. It ain't the music, everybody be nice to each other. Yep. It's the music business. So they, they got to keep the lights on. They got to do what they got to do. And if you sign a band to aggressive deals that are that are beneficial to the label, right? that's how every business is. Dairy Queen ain't fucking giving the girl serving the fucking ice cream equity in the fucking company. And nobody's complaining about that. So... I mean, I see it from both sides. I can't, yeah, I can't really sit here and and say, "Hey, amend the old accounting." I'd like to, but I get that they won't. You know, <laughs> well, it's been a long time now, and then obviously we've, we've all moved on from that chapter. But every time I have somebody that's you know a victory uh, alumni, I like to ask them. Have them you had about anybody it. that said good things? Never. You so, you were about as diplomatic as it gets. Yeah, and I've had Tony. I've had Tony call him, well, send an email to me and say, oh, what the fuck, this isn't true. Tell this guy it's not true. Go on the record and on, on your next show and say, fuck you, I paid Darkest Hour. Yeah. You know, or whatever. Yeah. So, you know, he listens to this, and you know, I, I still talk to him once in a while, and do we have the best experience on Victory Records? No. Could it have been worse? Yeah. Did they sell a fuckload of records for us? Yeah. So... You know, it's it's one of those things. They, they, they gave us our start. They gave you their, they gave you your start, and here we are today. Yeah, I and mean, you they, can't really take that away, right? And beyond us, they put out like successful bands like uh, Thursday and Taking Back Sunday and Day to Remember, and um, you know, it was a different time when we were on it. I mean, there was a point where they're fucking putting out fucking. Uh, uh, baby Gopal and hi-fiing the Roadburners and making fucking hot sauce and and no offense to people who like hot sauce I like hot sauce no offense to hi-fi or, or baby Gopal it just it didn't it just it was just it seemed whack to me it didn't seem cool like I didn't yeah. I didn't put them on a pedestal uh, there right. was there were great records too um, like you know I loved Strife One Truth and I loved Earth Crisis Firestorm there were great awesome records too but it just it just Whatever, it just seemed like it was going in a different direction that wasn't our direction. And, I mean, it seems pointless to talk about. It does now. But, I mean, do you remember the Victory World? Victory World? What was that? They were putting out, like, Calypso music. Right, right, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Like, that yeah. was real, right, real strange. Right. You know? But, hey, I mean, if that's what you like and that's what you want to do and that's what you're passionate about, Absolutely. who am I to say? Absolutely. I just have my own little fucking camp that I have to deal with and that I, I have my own little boat that I'm trying to keep afloat that I've right. been lucky enough to keep afloat for however many years. Sure. And but the thing is, is like, 
what they're doing is they're trying to diversify their business, right? They're trying to do other things. And you talked about, oh yeah, like uh, I didn't know if this band was going to last. I saw other bands burn out and fade away. So I did some broadcasting, which brings us to what you're doing now, which is a, taking up a majority of your time is podcasting. Yeah. And how did you get into podcasting? Has it been what you thought it was going to be? Talk a little bit about that. Cause, yeah, because you're, you're very nice. successful. Yeah, it's been really cool. It's been a nice way to uh, add a revenue stream. Yeah, you know, into my business, and um, you know, I can bend an ear with the fucking best of them. So, I I came into it really late in the game. Luckily, I've I've been at the point now where by the time people hear this, we'll be pretty close to 300 episodes. So, um, again, it was another thing where it was like people are like, oh, it's gonna last, you know, 10 episodes and go the way right. of most podcasts and. Um, so it was nice to, you know, I like to do things that are a challenge. And when people say like, oh, this is going to flop, it's nice to prove those types of people wrong. I do let that still drive me. It's probably not the most healthy thing to let drive you. But it also, I think, reinvigorated other stuff I was doing. My merch store, yeah, the band, the meet and greets. My solo stuff because, you know, I did my solo record in 2011 and then I just put out my own solo record now on a second record in 2017. So I couldn't have done that without the podcast and all my supporters, right. all my listeners funded the record, helped me get a good mixer, good studio time, like did it without a label. Um, my pre-orders alone and then uh, doing like my own sort of like makeshift Kickstarter thing. I did it myself through my site. It was incredible. It was a great experience. So it's it's been it's been really cool. And with Headbangers, people, right after that, people were like, "You got to do a podcast." Because Adam Curry, one of the original Headbangers Ball hosts, one of the MTV hosts, he's like the Pod Father, right? Like him and Adam Carolla, like right. They, like Adam Curry, like he people were saying, like, "You got to get into this now." And I waited and waited and waited. Like I missed the YouTube shit. Yeah, I missed that whole. I, you know, people said make money off YouTube monetize YouTube I missed the boat on that and I was like you know what I'm not going to miss the boat on podcasting I'll I'll, I'll, I'll try that lane and, and it's been it's been great um, you know I worked with Squarespace I worked with Blue Apron I worked with Monster still working with Monster we'll see what's going to happen with Blue Apron but it's you know to have big sponsors like that it's, it's fucking awesome and now we're a subscription based business and I have equity in the company so just to have equity in the network. I could have never had that with Viacom or MTV2. And then all the interviews are censored. The bands don't want to talk about different shit. And I don't, and I don't have to do that now. If bands don't want to talk about certain shit, then don't come on the show. I don't fucking care. I'd rather talk to you. Sure. I'd rather talk to fucking dudes that actually have something interesting to say. Well, that's what, that's what makes podcasting so great. Is it's, it is, for the most part, uncensored. I probably won't, cens- won't edit this at all, really. Yeah. Like my little fuck up I just made a second ago. I leave that shit in. Yeah. And it's real. And it's raw, and it's long form, and we get to talk about things you don't hear in a MTV interview. Right. It's literally like, okay, whatever, what, three and a half minutes, and then we're going to commercial. Right. Like, and people are coming around to this. They're realizing yes. that network TV is bullshit. Why is another adult telling you what type of content you can fucking hear? They realize half of the fucking editorial shit from all these magazines that we grew up listening and are reading and, and all these radio shows that we grew up listening to... They're realizing that we've been fed such a fucking crock of shit. And then half of these movies 
that you know and I can't wait to see the 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 cool content creators start to thrive because you can go and fund your own film now and if it's a good unique idea fans who are forward thinking smart and supportive they would rather give you their money than pay fucking direct tv fucking 200 a month to have a bunch of fucking bullshit channels yes. that are programmed by a bunch of retards that sorry i know retards not a fucking politically correct term anymore but programmed by <laughs> a bunch of in, fucking Jamie, yeah, leave it, it in. in leave it in <laughs> programmed by a bunch of fucking assholes like why are you gonna watch these network tv shows that are fucking edited the content is edited because they oh well, you you, you, you can't you can't see it because of their fucking advertisers. Fuck them. Cancel DirecTV. Cancel your fucking... Like, that's why I love all this this uh, content that's out there that people are creating on their own. It's, it's way better in a lot of cases. It is way better, you know? Guerrilla Broadcasting is here. It is. You know? And wait till the films. Radio. Wait till the films. Wait till the fucking... And, and the albums. I, there was a band. I'm going to have this band protest the hero on. They gave me their album on Some a hard drive. Very good friends of mine. Well, their their album's great. And they made a fan-funded album. Yeah. And it didn't affect the creative. That's what I'm trying to say. So the fans can fund this shit, and it doesn't affect the creative. It makes the creative better. Because you don't have some fucking idiot behind a desk who isn't an artistic person, isn't a creative person, telling you about the ceiling and the sponsors and the limitations and the fucking censoring and all this stuff. Get it the fuck out of here. I thought that's why we got into punk and hardcore, to not listen to these fucking assholes. <laughs> and you're so right. So what's next for Hatebreed? I mean, I know you guys, um, are you, is that something you're going to be inspired by? I mean, yeah, doing all you? this stuff on your own, is it going to blend into the Hatebreed world? I think so. Are you a Marvel guy or a DC guy? Uh, I'm a Marvel guy. All right. So you like how like Marvel's rolling out this stuff where you pretty much know, with a, with the exception of a few schedule changes, you pretty much know what's on the slate till what? Like 2023? Yeah, 2022? Okay. So I want to kind of mimic that model. And it's something I've been thinking about. And uh, I actually thought this record was not going to have the life that it actually has. And now that we this record's cool because like not I wouldn't say like divinity but like self-titled it has an opener and a closer which I think is important to have and if that's what we'll do for the next record you you want to have you want to have at least two on that current record where you got one opener and one new closer and that's very hard you don't see a lot of these bands on this tour they're not opening with a new song and closing with a new song right but we have those songs so I want to I want to do that again yeah but I want to do the covers record and I want to do re-records and I want to do another, uh, I want to do a live show and a documentary. So right there, that puts us to like 2022, I think it is. Wow. And so with a five-year plan, which a lot of people do outside of the music industry, you have a lot of small businesses, a lot of people just in their personal life, they do a five-year plan. Savings, vacation, school. You know, you if you count your five like top values on your, on your hand and you go, okay, my... My family, my career, my finances, my, my my creative stuff, and my dog or whatever, right? I try to do the same thing with the band, right? Yeah. yeah. So, like, okay, the touring, the merch. Sure. The live show, the online stuff, whatever. Like, you try to have, like, right. you, 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 you focus where you feel you have that energy, that where, you, where, where that energy where that flow is going to. So right now that flow is like, well, this record has a lot of life. Let's take these 
tours that are being offered. Let's take these opportunities. And then if those are all profitable, like if, it, if, if the next tour and the tour after uh, the persistence tour, if it's as profitable or more profitable than Warped was for us, we could take a year off. We could take two years off. But we're not gonna because we have these opportunities to do the covers album, do the new studio album. Sure. You know, we're having, we have a two-firm deal, which is great. So there's no haircut. It's not like when we were on Roadrunner or Universal where they, they could say, hey, uh, you got to take half of what the advance is supposed to be. Is that okay? And then you got to go, well, what the fuck? We can't give you six songs. Right. We have a two-firm deal. So we could right. go do a studio album, but we could go do a covers album. Cool. No, that's great. It's just funny talking to you about this and, and how self-aware you are of your different businesses and your planning. And it's just, it's funny because, you know, you think of hardcore bands as not really the most business savvy bands. Well, that used to be an insult. It would be like, oh, hey, Breed, yeah, they're, they're, they're okay. It's just that Jamie's a good businessman. Well, really not. If I was a good businessman, would I fucking have signed a shitty record deal or a shitty publishing deal or had fucking management deals in the past that didn't work out so great? Right. No, you learn. You, you go. It's like you, you have to have all these sort of missteps to then learn so that you can then adapt and overcome and, and kind of get to what I call cruising altitude. And then when, right. when you're at cruising altitude and you know that certain tours are going to have, like just with this Josta tour that I did, I opened for Anthrax and Killswitch Engage. I based it solely off the head counts, the pre-sales, and what the bands had done. And those are two bands that draw great. They're, they're legacy bands, but they both have new fans. And you're just making informed decisions. So I go in a van. The tour's highly profitable for me. And then I, what do I do? I reinvest that money into the podcast. That, I couldn't have done this live podcast in St. Louis or the live podcast with Jesse without doing that solo run because I reinvest that money that I made into my businesses and yeah. I keep it at cruising altitude. Does that make sense? It does make sense. Uh, yeah, doing the podcast on Warp Tour, and it's a great idea. What you've been doing is basically doing one almost every day. Uh, getting kids to be able to buy tickets for it, uh, watch you do your podcast live with another person, either on the tour or not on the tour. Uh, great idea. Sh- shout out to you for that. How did you find that? Because that seems like a lot of work, especially now being part of Warp Tour, being in the heat every day, having to perform with Hatebreed, other stuff on the go you have. Would you do it again? I probably wouldn't do it again unless it was going to be guaranteed indoors. The ones that were indoors were great. Um, those were the more, like, I would say, well-attended shows. Right. But uh, it was a, I bit off a little bit more than I could chew. But, again, it helped because at that time when I booked the live podcast in St. Louis, it was a door deal. I didn't know how it was going to go. I didn't know if there was going to be a lot of demand. And then it was also an early... Um, live show so it was like 4.30 door 5 o'clock start yeah and it was and people had already bought their tickets to see Lamb of God and Behemoth that night at the pageant so I didn't know if there was going to be extra uh, people with extra uh, income to to even support that so I used my Think TEI money to book those flights they were expensive I had to go Houston to St. Louis St. Louis to uh, Las Cruces yeah not big airports 
Right, and I had to book uh, rent-a-car, and I had to book hotels for two nights. So I did a little spreadsheet. I did a budget. Luckily, I did uh, just over 50 people at the um, at the live podcast. The crowd was awesome, and they I did a higher ticket for, like, the front row. They got a signed poster. Right. And so I did good off the... And I pay my guests, like, when I do a live show. So I pay Randy... I pay myself, and then my deficit for the hotels and the flights and the rent-a-car, I took out a Think TEI money. So it was a learning experience. It was a great experience. All my, I pre-write bits, so all my pre-written bits pretty much killed because it's different from a podcast like this. It's a live show. Yes. So I like to have bits. I like to have um, the, uh, you know, the songs come in and... We actually had this really funny moment that people will hear when the podcast comes out that wasn't pre-planned. But as I learn and as I do them, I'll have more sort of pre-planned bits. And I couldn't have the time to do that if I wasn't making money off the podcast here. So it was kind of both. It was like, it was, I love the shirt, by the way. Did you see Silent Planets? Uh, oh, that's, a, yeah. that's just a straight up <laughs> yeah, rip off. Yeah. And look at the back. It says, I cried in the... Uh, in the silent planet. Oh my pit. god! Yeah. <laughs> I cried. Oh well, there's also the Kate Breed shirts too. Oh yeah, did you see that Kate from production? I gotta get one of the Weezer ones. Someone was wearing a Weezer one where Weezer did the Hate Hate Breed uh, flame logo. I guess Thursday did one too. I gotta get them all and start a little collection. But for those listening, uh, Bob, uh, shout out to Bobby. He was the stage manager on our, our uh, Mutant Stage North. He just walked by. It's the last day of the tour, and he just walked by with a Silent Planet Hate Breed ripoff shirt, which is pretty funny because we did one for every day of the tour. Yeah. Except Las Cruces. Sorry, Las Cruces. But we knew that no one was going to uh, be buying merch at that show. Although, guess what? We ended up doing great. But then there's also the uh, 4th of July show that didn't happen. Where you, the those sold out. Somewhere. They sold you out. Sold they sold out. <laughs> we sold out in Charlotte because everybody came from, I guess they let you in. Oh, yeah, yeah. In Charlotte with your Wilmington ticket. Right. So, yeah, I think those pretty much sold out. It's cool to have a shirt. It's like, you know, when when some team doesn't win the Super Bowl, it's like, what do they do with all those fucking hats? Right, it goes to Ghana or something. (laughs) It does. Uh, My friend was there. My friend was there. uh, No, my friend was in Ethiopia, and they had, like, Atlanta Falcons uh, Super Bowl champions gear. Right. And it was Uh, like, you know, know, Patriots came back and won that one, unfortunately. Sorry, Atlanta. That's, and I'm not a Patriots fan. No, I'm a Bills fan, and I could use like four in a row from where they lost when they oh, lost four Super Bowls in a row. I could God. use uh, use some merch. If anybody's got any or wants, wants to make me a Bills World Champ shirt, <laughs> I hilarious. would love that. That would be hilarious. Um, Jamie, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. I appreciate you doing this. Yeah, no problem. Last day, busy day. I have a couple fan questions that I like to throw out there, and they're usually pretty good because my listeners are very informed, as I'm sure you find yours are too um somebody asks about how you got into sponsoring ufc fighter chris camozzi oh yeah yeah um chris was i think originally sponsored by good charlotte and i was like huh i wonder how that's gonna work like are they gonna is he gonna walk out to their song do they have does good charlotte have crossover into that world and uh I was already a fan. You know, I'd been going to UFC events. I've been watching, I remember I rented the fucking UFC back in the videotape days. That was right. like a big deal, like to rent a UFC on and go watch it. And um, I, I had, you know, seen Pride events and done the pay-per-views for Pride. And so, but I didn't think there was any crossover. I was like, this seems like more of, 
I mean, it's even more sort of underground than like wrestling. Like it's even different sure. than wrestling fans. It's a very yeah. unique fan. And then uh, I did a walkout shirt. I forget which fighter it was for. It might have been for shit. I can't remember the guy's name, but I did a walkout shirt for this guy. And they sold out after one event, and it was publicized on Access TV. It wasn't even a UFC event. Okay. And yeah. so I sold the whatever 75 shirts we made, and I was like, wow, damn, that's good. We made a little money. The guy was happy. He shouted me out in the ring. So then I said, you know what? Let me try Chris Camozzi because I guess Good Charlotte wasn't doing him anymore. And uh, But standards and licenses or whatever that – I don't know if that uh, department's still there at UFC. I know the lawyer's not there who hit me up. He's like, sorry, we got to cover the logos. Uh, we're going through this thing where – I don't know. I don't want to say it on the podcast because – yeah, that's I okay. already said it, and it got, I got in trouble. The guy, okay. I was on another radio show, and I said, you know, there's this little thing at the end of emails. You got to be very careful. There's this um, legally binding agreement right, right, at right. the end of some emails that now I check every email that for I your get. eyes only kind of thing. Yes, yeah. and so, it, but they covered his logo. But then at subsequent events, he was able to come out to a Josta song, and I sponsored Shane Carwin. He was another UFC guy. When the Josta album came out, I put the Josta logo on the butt of his shorts. And I got a lot. I saw a lot of action on that on Twitter. I got a lot of pre-orders for the record, so it worked for me. I don't know if it would still work. I don't do it as much. I'm actually thinking about uh, rebranding Hateware. Like, notice I don't have a Hateware tent on this because I didn't. Yeah. I think that the new generation is. Um, they're they're really this new generation has really has they're they've embraced censorship, and they've embraced um, sort of like retiring certain words and and. And hey, there's there's been previous generations that have done that too. I, I'm not here to judge. I just I know when it's a bad time to be uh, trying to promote deconstructionism. They don't they don't understand that. Like oh why can't we ta- why can't we hate racism? Why can't we hate poverty? Why can't we right. hate social injustice? They just want to retire the word hate. Well, unfortunately, my band's called Hate Breed, so <laughs> we're not really we're not retiring it. Right. But for hate, where I think uh, I don't mind. I'll change it to something else. And for Stillborn Records, that was another thing I got a lot of flack from. I still get emails. People who have a child who is stillborn, it's a fucking awful experience for them. It's a, it's a, Then they Google it, and my shit comes up, and they're like, you fucking dumb heavy metal right. man. And so, you know, I'm like, yeah, I'm nearing 40. Like, why do I need to hold on to this shit that hurts people and people get bummed out? I can I can rebrand. Yeah. And uh, well, I think it's good. I mean, progression is good. Right. Like learning is good, right? So I get you know? so, so, and look, just because it's a smaller bag of money doesn't mean you don't go pick it up. Okay, yeah, right. So I like, like that. I like that uh, phrase. Shout out to Tim Bohr. He said that. And so, uh, look, I still sell hateware T-shirts. I have a great online business, but if I call it something different, it'll still sell. So it's like. Then I won't have a 15-year-old, you know, feminist, you know, writing me a whole fucking novel. And, because I do see it from her side. Right. And her opinion is valid. But I have to, be, I have, to have balance. And I want to I I do stuff that's positive. And so if, if she's not seeing hate wear as a positive thing, then she's on to something, right? Right. I can't just be like, well, fuck you. You're too sensitive. And this new generation is too sensitive. They, they get so much of that as it is. Why don't we be supportive of them? Totally. And that was actually goes right into my next 
fan question. Somebody asked about that whole, you were talking about how on LimeWire, they're changing your names, your songs to be racist. Do you know who did that, why they did that, and how is that backlash? Like, they, they mentioned CNN actually talked about you guys as being a racist yeah. band. Well, it's just there's so much content out there. There's so much information out there. I don't know what's real and what's fake, and I hate to use the fake yeah. news. Yeah. But, yeah, we were, we, we were dealing with fake news before it was even a thing. And uh, clicks mean money. So people will make shit up to get clicks, or people will do shit to sabotage people. It is what it is. You're never... Anybody who's... But at that been, time, it wasn't clicks didn't... It wasn't really a thing yet. On, like, LimeWire, oh, someone... Okay. Well, well, yeah, because if... Well, that was more of a sabotage thing than it was trying to get paid. Okay. It was tr- more trying to sabotage the band. But they did it to Nine Inch Nails. They did it to Slayer. They did it to a lot of bands. And it just creates confusion, and um, that sucked, like, for that little period of time when people... And it was a bad time in the economy, so people didn't want to go buy the real CD. They just wanted to download their favorite band's music. And Yeah. Um, but then they would see that, and we'd have a lot of fans be like, I can't believe you'd have a song title called that. And we're like, what are you fucking talking about? Like, at the meet and greet, we're getting, I'm getting into arguments. People walking over and being like, yo, fuck you. What's up with that song? I'm like, yo, fuck you. What the fuck are you talking about, you dumb fuck? And then it's like, well, the, Jesus, now we're going to get into... Right. Like, I don't... And I've had lawsuits, and I know, and I don't want to be in them. But any successful business that you're going to have to, even the fucking local coffee shop is is in lawsuits. So that's it is what it is. We, we, we're in a fucking sue happy time. <laughs> yeah, well, that's America. That's the American we're, way. We're like a litigious that's society. Right. That's right. Um, one last question. When you started screaming in the early 90s, did you think you'd be able to talk professionally? Like, do you, do you find screaming, you scream a show or whatever, it affects your, your broadcasting voice? There's Monique. The talking does it more. Hi, Monique. What up, Momo? What's going on, girl? Um, Shout out to Sifters. You know, I think more of the talking uh, stresses it than the screaming. Yeah. Like, yesterday I did, like, fucking five podcasts, and then I, my voice was hurting during the show. I got through it, but it wasn't my best performance. Um, but, no, I, I was early on. I was going to ear, nose, and throat doctors and stuff. And, you know, just keeping a, that. Because, I, you know, I saw, like, Davey from AFI have surgery. I saw uh, uh, the guy from uh, Avenged Sevenfold have to get a surgery. David Draymond had to get a surgery from Disturbed. So I, I'm, like, I'm like, well, Jesus, they're going way lighter than I am. And I would always go right. in there, and they'd put that fucking camera in there, and they'd, they'd do all these tests, and they, the guy would go, whatever you're doing, keep doing it. And I'm like, really? Okay. And so, yeah, no nodules, yeah. no nodules. See, for me, I'm, I don't want to go to the doctor. I don't want to well, know. Well, you better. you got to go. I don't have any problems. Like, I'm fine. No, I, just go, I, I can just, sing just, better than I've ever sang. Just, but, go, just go for the fuck of it. Just go to know and have that relief, you know? I guess. I don't know if I'm going to have relief or if I'm going to if no, they're going to say fine. You know, you know what I mean. I don't want to well, overthink do to, it. What are you Irish? Am I Irish? Yeah, no, I'm not right, Irish. Irish people, we hate the doctor. Like when, <laughs> when we were kids, it was like you're fine, you're fine. Well, no, I broke my fucking collarbone. No, you're fine. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't even mind going to the doctor. That, but to be honest, I don't know. I just the idea of somebody telling me I shouldn't sing anymore or I'm not going to be able to do it much longer. 
maybe they would have told me that 10 years ago and I can sing just as well as I've ever been able to sing. So, yeah. But I like to ask, you know, it is this is the Lead Singer Syndrome podcast that we talk about. Right. So, well, you got to watch out for reflux, man. And you know cuz yeah, people, people are really worried about eating bad pussy and getting uh like tongue cancer or throat cancer, but really they say, <laughs> you know, they say that uh reflux untreated will cause throat cancer as well. So, I mean, you, anyway, you're rolling the fucking dice. Whether you're eating hot shit and spicy food and you're not getting it treated and you're fucking laying in a fucking bus and you're on an incline or a deke or, a, yeah, yeah, you're yeah. on a fucking hill. Sure. And your fucking reflux is flaring up. You, you should always go and get it checked out. Or if you're going down on fucking rank box and they got this shit, I forget what it's called, uh, <laughs> fucking PPV, uh, pay-per-view. Uh, no, I forget. Uh, you don't that could untreated that could be, turn into throat or tongue problems you got you know Bruce Dickinson Ricky Rocket from Poison uh, Michael Douglas said he thought his fucking throat cancer was from eating pussy so <laughs> and now they're saying that girls can get it from sucking dick too so so girl singers watch out you know you don't want to you, 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 you know you don't want to fucking hurt your voice for some fucking uh, nice looking cock <laughs> <laughs> or vagina, or yes, yeah, right, right, that's right. Because girls eat a lot of pussy too, so that's right. Um, keep it clean, keep it tight, sing it right. What else? I think you just about nailed it. You got the vegan cheese. Where's the vegan cheese? Okay. Sorry, it's okay. Well, you're, I'll, you're, I'll come. you're good to go. Yeah. No, man. Well, thanks again. Um, yeah, Shane. Good seeing you, man. Have a, yeah, have a good rest of the absolutely. summer. Absolutely. And just so people can check it out, your show is called The Jasta Show. Yep. And Search it's on for uh, it. SoundCloud.com slash Jamie Jasta or uh, on iTunes. But uh, to access the archives, you do have to be a subscriber. And, 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 and so, you know, you'll be happy to know that, you know, for less than uh, two fancy cups of coffee per month, you can get a great, uh, you know, 200, 260 plus episode archive at gasdigitalnetwork.com use the code JASTA and uh, you'll get Michael or Bruce Buffer's show Michael Bisping's show Big J Okerson and uh, Ralph Sutton have a show on there a comedy show called uh, SDR which is funny as shit awesome Louis J. Gomez has a show on there as well we, we're signing new podcasts and stuff so uh, and you're supporting independent content creators even though we're all together now as a group we are very independent on our own I don't get told what to do or who to have on the show and that's a beautiful thing. And so, yeah, I think it's Fuck when yeah. you use the code, I think it's like six bucks a month. So it's it's worth it. Cool. Awesome. Check it out. And thanks again, Jamie. Thank you, Shane. Right, Appreciate man. it, bud. Thanks, my friend. Anytime. My pleasure. So there it is with Jamie. <laughs> what a dude. That ending was cracking me up. So I want to thank Jamie so much for doing it, um, taking time out of his very, very busy schedule on Warp Tour. Um, I was a guest on his show as well, so I'm sure that'll be up pretty soon, so check it out. His show again is called The Jasta Show. You can find it the same place you find this show, um, and he's doing some really, really awesome things, especially if you're into heavier music. He, he does a lot of cool stuff with, with some heavier stuff. If you like the show, I remind you, please... Write a review on iTunes, preferably five stars, and anything you can do to support, do it. I really appreciate it. If you want to get in touch, let me know how I fucked this up. Let me know how I'm doing a good job. It's real easy to syndrome at gmail.com. We're also on all the social media stuff. And if you really like the show, again, we do have the Lead Singer Syndrome All Access Club. The link is leadsingersyndrome.com slash all access. 
As always, I'm going to play you a tune, and it's not an easy choice for me. Um, I love so much stuff the Hatebreed has put out over the years, but I'm going to pick this song in particular because the breakdown at the end, to me, when I first heard it, and the production on this record is so good, the record's Perseverance, when I first heard this breakdown, I was like, oh, shit. Like, it blew my mind. So here is the first track off Hatebreed's Perseverance, Proven on Lead Singer Syndrome. Peace and love. We'll see you next week. You want to see me fail? You won't get your chance. You want to see me fail? You won't get your chance. You want to see me fail?